0: Watching their jumps practice. There we go. Got it. Uh, yep, I'm at the training center. The watch the high jumpers practice a little earlier, and then um, now the the long triple group is getting in some some work, some runway work. So,
1: what's yeah. the uh, what is the utilization of that facility? Um, what's the frequency of use and numbers and all that?
0: Um, it's a pretty small group uh, that trains here regularly. Um, with let me think probably less than 15 on the jump sprint side and then um there's a number of there's probably five or so multi-athletes that are here and then um not really sure about the throwers I don't get to see them much because they're kind of tucked away over another corner um but yeah this these this group is here five days a week six days a week um typically from 10 to 3 or 4 p.m so they're, they're here quite a bit. I mean, the group, um, uh, I know the dynamics are changing just with, uh, how, uh, USA track and field has kind of made some changes, uh, administratively and things like that with the training center. So, um, I know coach Fisher is kind of working on bringing in a lot of other international groups in the next couple, uh, months and years too. So I think it'll There's get good. a lot more use, um, just a different, different type of use too.
1: It, now, it was under the auspices of USOC for quite a while. That's how, that's who built it.
0: Yeah. But now, now Chula, was, the city of Chula Vista owns it now. All right. So, all
1: right. All right. And it was was that, was that the result of lack of use or, or, cause it was pretty barren when I, the times yeah. I've been. Yeah.
0: Great question. I don't actually know those, uh, the answer to that one specifically. I could probably ask Fisher sure he would know. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it is pretty barren, like, especially... I've only been here post-COVID, but I know that housing is harder to get into and um, things are just expensive down here, even to stay here. It's pretty yeah. pricey, so um, you know, Chris Bernard. Is- yeah. Well, that's
2: exactly. another reason the uh, death of track and field in the, in the U.S., right? You can't make any money uh, while you're trying to train and do all those things to get paid. You have to have money before you can get paid. If that makes sense.
0: Right. Yeah, and it, it, it's kind of interesting that, you know, talking to all these athletes that are here, um, I think we all just kind of assume that they're on contract and they have certain resources that are different than everybody else. But for the majority of them, um, I'd say there's a few that are on some pretty good deals. But uh, as a whole, the majority of them are kind of working through their own resources, um, kind of getting family support, Local support back home um, to kind of help put them through this process because um, it's something they want as well. But like we know that uh, um, just the sponsorship money and the prize money and things is uh, they're not it's not as uh, ideal in the jumps world and the field events as it is in the sprint side. So
1: yeah, so I was pretty much always been that way, right? It's it's very reflective of the the uh, the way that uh, both the IAAF and and uh, USA Track and Field. I'm sure I don't know about other governing bodies, but it's very reflective of the lack of, uh, the really lack of creativity and how to how to promote the sport. It's always been that way. It's it's. Yeah. I mean, what you, you, have you ever seen a movie called Chariots of Fire?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, not in a long time, but yes.
1: Being it, okay. Well, I, you, we might as well be having those guys run the show. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> you know yeah. these. Is these these uh, bureaucrats that can't think outside of themselves. Um, mm-hmm. I was telling Troy. I've got a friend of mine who mm-hmm. works with uh, Sebastian Coe at WAF. We've had a number of conversations, and the, the um, I, I hadn't the, the the what I'm about to say is the result of a conversation we had a few years ago. I had no idea that uh, the uh, uh, Golden League meets uh, had had really fallen on bad times that did that, that you know previously when I was coaching this the stadiums were packed and uh now, Diamond League they're, they're they're Diamond League now yeah um um they're 25% maybe maybe and you know it's just it's uh they're double th- IWAf is trying to come up with formats ch- format changes changes in in um you know how the how the events are run to try to generate interest and uh, uh, you know, the guys that have run USA track and field and prior to that TAC and prior to that AEU and all that crap, it's been the same recipe from start to finish. And it's, it's just a failed, it's a failed process.
0: Right. Uh, What do you think could be changed like from the ground up or from, where do you think we might be able to loosen things up to help things grow?
1: Um, I, I, that's a big question. Um, Troy and I were talking the other day, I think Troy, do you mention the participation, track and field participation at the high school level is, is still the number one participation sport. Is that right?
2: It's pretty high in a lot of schools. Yeah. Just because, you know, you can have large teams when you can have a lot of people. And if the coaches are doing it kind of the smart way, you just keep all your athletes you don't even have cuts you know you make sure you keep them and you you fundraise with them right so you can build your program and keep your you know your pits new and all your canopies and you know get everybody decent equipment and whatever so yeah it, it well, can, depends on the well, school
1: yeah i think i was i i was talking and might have been rose monday um, I've known her for years and I, I've had a number of conversations. I think she, she may have been the one that said it's still the number one participation sport in high school.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so to go back to your question, Lauren. So let's assume, let's assume that you have that level of participation. And I don't know what, I, you know, I, I have no idea what the, what the, uh, roster roles are for college compared to 30 years ago. I have no idea, but let's assume that they're equivalent. So it, it, the it, the question that you're asking, you know, one of the things that would have to be looked at is what's the yeah. what is the data on participation? What's the data on continuation of of competition beyond high school? What's mm-hmm. the, you know what are the what is the continuation of of uh, competition beyond college? And then and then from that, if that's static, which I think it is, um then you know then that begs the question okay wait a second if 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 we're not seeing a reduction in co- the competitive environment in terms of numbers mm-hmm. um the next question is are we seeing a, a reduction in the in the quality of competition and the right. answer answer is i mean no mm-hmm. um because records are still being broken, kids are getting better, and you know performances are improving for the most part um so then that begs the question okay well if if the product in terms of the resources are are good and they they remain good then mm-hmm. you know what is stopping um this product from being uh, from generating interest right in america you know the, the easy answer is okay cuz the big four dominate you know the big four dominate uh, uh, viewer participation. You know football, baseball, basketball, and hockey, and then you got soccer that's on the on the move. Um, then you have individual sports like tennis and, and golf. Golf has its own little niche. So does tennis. So what does, where does that leave? Where does that leave track and field? Um, I I personally think that at least in America. Um, that in order to attract and ma- and and retain um, both viewership and fan base that there has to be something more than an individual athlete that the fan is following yeah um i i years ago i put together and i, and I was uh, i i am, this is packed away in some file cabinet i put together a concept that I was actually floated with uh, Casey Washerman, who's a friend of mine. He runs Washerman uh, Media Group. Uh, he does a lot of representation, does a lot of media representation, athlete representation, so on and so forth. And I've known him for years. And I brought it to him. I said, what do you think? And he said, yeah. He said, this is the only thing that's going to go. I mean, it's because everybody in America is so team-oriented. So. Yeah. You know, so it's based on that. So the, the answer, I, I believe, is is you've got to address what attracts the viewer, attracts the mm-hmm. fan. And I don't think it's the individual athlete. I think within a team environment or a group environment, yeah, there are individual athletes that stand out. But the identity and the the marketing of track and field as a as a sport is going to be brand built on something more than the athlete
0: right what about like dual means more just soaking more competition maybe putting less um on the marks for viewership or um, spectator you know regard because a lot of times if we were to get oh sorry you guys see me now oh there we go um if we can get more people to spectate they might not be totally in the know of what's going on on the screen but if there's a little bit of a competition um that's set up there inherently just setting up duels or different races against different competitors that have some hype and that seems to get some more fans um
1: yeah I mean you certainly could do that um I was thinking about this when uh, Troy and uh we were at uh, Mount SAC um together and I hadn't been there since they re you know re uh rebuilt the stadium and the facilities and all that and I was starting, I was just sitting there thinking about how, you know, the three ring circus that track and field is as it's currently set up. Um, if you want to really generate interest without changing the format, um, you, you, you basically, it seems to me a couple of things have to happen. Um, You're you're not going to fill the L.A. Coliseum except during the Olympics, right? So you're going to have smaller venues with smaller stands. And you want, from the standpoint of creating the atmosphere you're looking for, you want those stands filled. Doesn't matter whether it's only 3,000 or or 10,000, you know, that doesn't make any difference. But the packed stands does make a difference. So how do you do that? You know, and I was thinking about just the layout at, at Monsac. Have you been there recently? Yeah. No, yeah, okay. I was just
0: there a couple of weeks ago.
1: Okay. Um, so just look at that layout, right? It's a, it's a mm-hmm. standard track layout. But from the standpoint of generating spectator interest and excitement, you've got to put everything on one side. Everything has to be on one side. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't have a long jump. And the triple jumps on the opposite side. You can't have, um, you know, the discus ring and the shot put ring on in the middle of the middle of the facility because it, mm-hmm. you can't see it. You can't. Do, you, you're going to have to figure out some other configuration that obviously doesn't disrupt the oval, but but creates a concentrated vent, a kind of theater atmosphere where everything is happening right in front of you. Right. And, then the other thing, in in and this is something I've, I've talked to USATF about because they've, they've tried to do this. There has to be a uh, there has to be a really choreographed uh, schedule of events. It it has to be one thing right on top of another. Oh yeah. It has to be completed in two hours. I mean the, the USATF their goal was two hours for a major meet. Wow.
0: Um
1: so how do you do that well you 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 know you pay a lot of money you get people on track and they're moving stuff around and you know one event one event's going the other event you know the next event is warming up Mm the people cross the finish line and a minute and a half later that gun is going off for the next race definitely yeah
0: Yeah, that's something that i uh i think is definitely overlooked in the sport as a whole starting on like on all levels is just the, the manpower it takes to host um and to manage good meets you know it really does take a lot of organization and prior proper planning to make sure that those things are moving correctly moving quickly um it's something i i think is definitely doable we could do so much more to increase viewership um and to create and to increase the fan base in general like troy and i talked about a while back with the uh, cameras and just broadcasting and things there's just so many different things we could do it's just that you know this technology is being utilized in other other sports and other atmospheres um and obviously having meat management like that has been work has worked in other sport atmospheres so i think it just takes a little bit of application and creativity to make that stuff happen sure. I, yeah.
2: i'd love to see that happen <laughs> we're, still being, we're still being driven by the fact that you know the dollar still rules and like i you said you, we've got a lot of work to do to create a product that everybody wants to see, you know, to make these changes, both <clears throat> the organization of meet, how it's run, uh, dual meet versus big invitationals. You know, um, uh, I remember seeing video of the UCLA USC dual meets that were there before I was at the school. And in uh, all the time that I was at Drake stadium and now Rayford Johnson's track, uh, him and his wife, They, um, there was never a packed house that I remember in my four years on the team. And even if USC, you know, for a dual meet, basically the people that were in the stands were the athletes, friends, and parents, and that was it, you know? And so I I remember seeing these videos (coughs) where there were 10 and 12 people deep on the IM field, looking into Drake stadium, watching the high jump back when Rory Katenik was jumping. Uh, against sc and the stands were packed you know and this was back in the late late 70s you know so the only reason i know it was late 70s because i got there in 82 so before me it had to be late 70s and rory katinik had the school record at Millikan before i got it so it was like he, he jumped seven six too he's crazy but um the the stands were packed Full of people. And this is back in the heyday, you know, back when people really knew track and field. And I think that's the biggest thing that we're facing is the fact that people in the U.S. especially really don't know much about track and field anymore. It's not like it used to be, you know, like all the best decathletes in the world until Haley Thompson were all Americans. You go back Bruce Jenner and before that was a decathlon was an American sport, you know, and right. You know, the high jump for the longest time, the first guys to jump seven feet, you know, Ronaldo Brown and all these other guys, even the Straddlers and, you know, Fosbury revolutionized the event. That was American. And everybody knew that, you know, and then we had Rayford Johnson winning the decathlon back in the, you know, the sixties and a UCLA guy and all that. So now, unfortunately, nobody knows about the Olympics and they still get some airplay, you know, every four years, but, you know, we're fighting that battle. I like the idea of you guys are talking about the teams, you know, maybe it needs to, I hate to let the sec get in the driver's seat again, but you know, no, 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 no,
1: not, not for, not for college. Are you talking about colleges? College, dual meets. Uh, You're not going to, you're not going to generate it that way. Yeah. Uh, And, and and I I mean, only because it's so monstrous. It's so big. Yeah. As it becomes this unwieldy thing that you're trying to, you're trying to shove into a small, you know, container. And, um, um, and it, that's pretty tough to do. Sorry. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. I think, um, but, but what I was going to say is that, you know, post collegiately, it's a very doable thing. But you gotta have, you know, you gotta have the fi- financial resources to pull it, to put it together, and create the inducement, um, you know, create the financial incentive on the part of the athletes to participate in a in a mm-hmm. format. Yeah. And then you've got to have all the other elements. you got to have, uh, you've got to have a lot of elements in place. But it, it's doable. Um, it's, it would be a much more abbreviated. Um, a competition, um, you know, very fast, uh, it, but, you, but you'd be combining, the idea is that you're combining um, what is a, appealing to a lot of the spectators and spectator interest, which is having an identifiable team that you can align with. And then you're, then you're using within that team, you're using the individual athletes and, and promoting them um right uh etc so so that was the concept that i that i put in, i outlined this thing years ago um and never never pursued it uh in part because i was getting out of coaching yeah uh, i mean i just mm-hmm. went floating to rose again to see whether or not she would she'd bite. i mean she's creative enough that she she might bite on it um but you know so it's the state of it's the state of track and field i mean i we, we uh, Troy and I were talking about this as well. I don't know, uh, I don't know, Lauren. What you're? How long have you been coaching? You have been coaching a while?
0: Um, about five years now.
1: And are you are you a California kid or no?
0: Yeah, well, it's kind of. I grew up in um, grew up in Northern California. I went to high school in Central Arkansas, and then I came back to California for college. So, been here for the last uh, ten years.
1: Okay, cool. Um, so, uh. What's your sense of the world of track and field in terms of development in the US?
0: It's rough. Um, I mean, there's so many different ways I can answer that question from like some of the things that I've seen, just uh, in terms of like, you know, people getting away with kind of selling a different picture than what the development kind of program looks like or what that operation is like, just because there is such a lack of development um, or organized uh, developmental teams so to speak Um, I think we could just do a lot better job at being more collaborative in general and that I'm saying that from a top down and bottom up kind of perspective Um, so for myself as a coach like I I think I see a lot of competitiveness and a lot of territorialness with athletes at times especially when it comes to transfers and things so Um, my focus as a coach these last few years has been within the junior college to division two branch. So when I was coaching at the JC, just trying to get kids off to the next level, and then now coaching at a D two, trying to bring kids up from the JC's and, um, in terms of development, that's a really cool opportunity to, you know, to get some kids that have been exposed to different types of coaching to a little bit of variety, um, in terms of philosophy and technique and, um, there's an opportunity to shock the system and just throw them right into your own program, but we're really talking about long-term development. There's a lot of collaboration that could be happening between um, each level of coach. So, you know, as I'm acquiring kids to the D2 level, um, especially if it's a pretty talented junior college athlete, um, or say I'm a junior college coach acquiring a really talented high school athlete, um trying to make the connection with their coaches and trying to see what has been working for them or what what types of resources are have been available to them in the past um and then maybe you know trying to create a pipeline of knowledge and resources from from different schools to schools or levels to levels because i think that i see that the competition and that territorialness is kind of what's doing this in as a sport um even especially within the college system, you know, I felt this year, this year was my first year at the D2 level. And I really felt that um, competitiveness between the different schools and staffs within our conference and it's fun and it's exciting, but at the same time, I'd love to see our sport grow as a whole. And, um, you know, I love to see people achieve things. They didn't think they could achieve. And I think it's really cool that we can all collaborate and connect over, over training and different methods. Um, so I'm a little, I'm a little disappointed at the state of it right now. Um, I think there are some different people that are really going out of their way, um, to try to help change that. And I think, uh, Coach Fisher one of them, you know, just seeing his program grow, um, with his MBA services and seeing how he's trying to help, um, educate some younger coaches and things, um, into some pretty basic training philosophies that can really be helpful and beneficial in the long run. I think that that's really helpful. Um, things like Altus, um, makes coaching education a little bit more accessible, which I think can help um, help to facilitate these conversations as a whole and hopefully help to develop athletes longer and keep them more interested in our sport longer. Yeah. That, that's kind of a roundabout answer, but...
1: <laughs> no, 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 it's a good answer. I, do you think, what do you think the state of, um, let me back, I'll back up. Years ago, um, I was having dinner with Bobby Kersey And we were discussing, you know, training methods, um, not so much philosophy, but, but the question that I asked, I ultimately asked him, I said, listen, I said, what is your assessment of the quality of coaching, knowledge base? Um, the ability, the understanding of applied physics in sports, uh, the understanding of, of energy systems, the understanding of of uh, of training effect, inter- in- 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 integrative training. Um, mm-hmm. Given all of that, what is your sense of the knowledge base of track and field coaches? And he, he said, I said, I, I said you know, maybe, maybe a better way to ask that question is do, do you think that your heads and tails above everybody else given given the amount of success that you've had um notwithstanding drug use <clears throat> um and everybody else is kind of you know in the in the middle ground or do you see yourself as kind of an average coach and everybody else sucks and he said i'm an average coach and everybody else sucks <laughs> and um I, we i mean just as a case in point we were when we were at uh when I was with Troy at Montsac we were watching the high jump, and I did not see as an example i I did not see a single change as the bar progressed a single change in um the start position of, of the approach for a single high jumper really and I was like, okay. How is that possible? Why would that not? I mean, since it's the most fundamental uh, element of jumping, yeah. high, why would there why would there not be a corresponding change as the bar goes up? Mm-hmm. And not a single athlete. So they're all, maybe, just, yeah, they're saying, all season, the marks remain the same, and they're huh. approaching. You know, and it's. It, I mean just, like I said, I, so I, so the question to you is, do you think the knowledge base is, has improved dramatically or it has improved or, um,
0: <laughs>
1: you know, I, I ask, I, you know, there's a friend of mine who, who coached, uh, do you know John Frazier from UCLA? Uh, you,
0: the name is very familiar. I probably met him.
1: Yeah. He's, he's coached in Arizona, Tennessee, Florida, UCLA. He's now the head, head coach at uh, Texas state. Okay. Um, and I asked him that same question
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he, he just shook his head. He said, there's a lot of questionable stuff out there. About it. It's just, it's, it's like, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't understand it the, the, with the proliferation of, of information availability. How in the world is that possible? Unless yeah. the people don't understand it.
0: Well, that's, that's what I was going to say. I think it really goes back to like, you know, especially having worked in like the academics, I mean, we we probably all have in some capacity and many capacities is like, I think when it comes back to like the school administration that are doing hiring and they just don't understand the the complexities of the sport and what it might take to have, um, you know, reputable, knowledgeable coaches on staff. And so a lot of times it starts from like the ground up, you know, there's especially like, for instance, in our area where I'm I'm from, um, there's, no middle school club board club programs. There's no camps um, in the area within like a two or three hour radius. So any other the track athletes in our area that what they're exposed to is what they get at school. and um and in terms of hiring, there's just no real requirements or um, education of around who they hire. So things can get really interesting, especially when like so the junior college I was working at, we would oftentimes get kids come in even if they had done two or three years of high school track just some of the stuff that they learned or acquired was just very interesting and sometimes um just seemed a little bit uh just like there's a lot of room for growth in that respect and I think that that's the case for a lot of areas these days um well even, let,
1: let me let yeah. me ask you this <clears throat> and this is an honestly is an indictment uh, it's not an indictment of track and field. It's an indictment of athletic development uh, across the, across the spectrum of sports. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> the, you know, I was, I, 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 since I've started to look at trying to get back into it, um, I've taken a look at, at results specific to track and field over the last three, three, four years. And mm-hmm. actually have created a table <clears throat> of you know of programs and how they've performed and what their improvements have been over time mm-hmm. and the vast majority of these programs don't improve right i mean it's right. and, and it's okay so the, which begs the question okay why why are they not improving and, and and improvement not measured necessarily by um not necessarily measured by whether they're moving from you know, 100 to 150 uh, ranking is and in, in specific to D1 or D2 or whatever mm-hmm. to top 75 and then top 50. And not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, is there improvement in actual performance of individual athletes year over year? And you're right. not, not seeing it. Now, does that mean that the athlete's not capable? I don't believe that. I, you know, my philosophy, I
0: believe
1: that. Uh, my philosophy has always been every single athlete can improve. Every one of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I totally agree. So if that, if if, 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 let's assume that that's a constant, you know, notwithstanding the, the, you know, when I was at SC, um, uh, um, coach Alice had a no cut policy. Anybody could come out and they'd be, they'd be suited up and they could run, you know, and whatever meets they could get into, um, mm-hmm. if it wasn't conference related type stuff. Um, <clears throat> and there were people there that were you know were participation oriented they they were out to stay fit and have fun and you know they weren't necessarily going to um commit themselves but but mm-hmm. at the, by the same yeah. token i told them when i first got there i said listen here's the deal there's only there's only one thing i need from you i need 100% commitment to what what i ask you to do if you can't do that find something else to do and, and every kid there did so. And I'm assuming that that is the case at every program. Now, what my understanding is, Troy, Troy has told me this, that is not the case at every program. <laughs> um, that no. there, are, there there's a lot of variability in the, not only the knowledge base, but the approach and, and, and implementation. Uh, that results in programs in these, you know, I, I don't know how many programs there are in D1, 2, 3, and NAIA. I have no idea. But, well, what do you think? Maybe 500?
2: Yeah. 500,
1: 500 programs, something like that, maybe 400? Yeah. Well, you've got, you've got maybe, I don't know, you might have 50 to 75 programs that are consistently good, and everybody else sucks. And and the schools, uh, the schools will not hold anybody accountable, and and that's the thing I don't get. I don't I don't understand that. Uh, We have a situation at at UCLA now, where uh, I don't know you you guys. Did you look at the results of nationals?
2: By any chance? No, I was scared to do that.
1: Zero (laughs) zero points for the men. Yeah. Um. Eight uh eight points for the women. Wow that's shocking yeah um,
2: well last national championship for UCLA's men's team was in 199 what uh, 1987
1: 88 88 the, uh, and and so there's you know the reports that I'm getting through contacts at UCLA just as a yeah, as a case study is that it's the the, the program is absolutely in chaos yeah. not just from a management standpoint, but <clears throat> from a knowledge and understanding and application standpoint as well. Yeah. I mean, how in the world is it possible for an institution with the gravitas that UCLA has? There's not a better place in the, in the, I don't know, maybe there's a better place in the, in the world to train, but I don't, I don't know too many. Right. Um, and then you, ha- you add to that all the, all the additional stuff of it comes with going to that school, not that I would go there, of course uh, <laughs> I, too hard left way too hard left for me, yeah uh, <laughs> um, but it's not like you can't recruit the the kids and get good kids there, so okay why why the performance, and why the allowance for I mean, twenty five years a crappy performance yeah Goodness. i don't I, I don't. I don't understand that. Great question.
0: Great question. (laughs) I think that that is, I think that's happening a lot more often than we think, but just at more, you know, not, not UCLA's, but um, at a lot of schools, there's just that lack of accountability. Um, The, the coaches, a lot of these schools who they can hire, you know, it's a lot of younger coaches, higher turnover, just, and things mm-hmm. simple.
2: Yeah, that, that wind um, scale has got a lot to do with it, for sure.
1: Well, certainly, here, certainly in California.
2: Yeah. Well, I've been looking at those jobs, the D one jobs. You know, just out of curiosity for the last few weeks, and you know, assistant coach jobs, even at the D one level for track and field, are generally around twenty five, thirty thousand dollars.
1: Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it?
2: You need the same job. I uh, floated the the job at uh, Biola two years ago was twenty five thousand you know and that's d two right so not much difference between d two d one and you know um I'm sure they would rather have volunteer <laughs> if they could get away with it well it's, it's almost it is almost five like, 30
1: grand like Lauren was saying you know at the high school level you know and and in a lot of places a lot of high schools you know it's the math teacher that's doing the coaching yeah out of necessity yeah Yeah. you know and And it's
0: it's... oh sorry go ahead
1: oh no finish your thought
0: i was just gonna say and it's above it's above abin's pay grade to go and looking to see what kind of coaching education that there is that might be beneficial to the situation so right right just kind of stick to the basics even though there are some really affordable and really you know accessible options for getting your beginner level coaches educated <laughs> so i think that that's something for myself as a coach you know i try to um when i'm hiring on assistant coaches or we're working with younger staff is just trying to um, trying to support and encourage them to really look towards getting educated and look towards getting some certifications or going and getting some hands-on learning from other coaches with more experience because Um, I think a lot of people are just hesitant to do that for whatever reason. They're afraid to put themselves out there, um, to ask, uh, and to, to show their ignorance and just say, Hey, I would like to, I would like to know more about what I'm doing. Um, instead it's like, let me just walk into this and show my confidence and show I'm ready to go. Um, which is, that's a good thing to have those, that confidence at times. But I think it's always good for us to just try to try to learn and try to encourage others around us to learn as well, especially knowing that that under education is the state of the sport at this point
1: (laughs) yeah yeah there was a um the uh, uh, there was an endowment that was created by the 84 committee um that um la 84 yeah or la 84
2: yeah doug doug does some of those right the clinics
1: uh, yeah the aaf amateur athletic foundation which is down yeah have you been there I haven't, but I've heard a lot about it from different. Yeah, I one of the things that it has it's check it a, out is outstanding is their library. Their library is, is impressive. Really? Writing uh, I'm <laughs> yeah. it
0: down right now so I don't forget.
1: It's on. Um, library. West Adams, isn't it, Troy?
2: Mm, I'm not sure where the the times that I've gone to two di- I've gone to two different clinics. They are held in two different places, so I'm not sure. No, I'm talking about
1: the, the bondage,
2: uh, Yeah
1: property i think it's i think it's on west adams it's in the west adams district okay um which is mid mid will you know just beyond mid wilshire a little bit closer to downtown uh just south of the uh 10 freeway okay um but they you know one of the guys that was uh one of the one of the head guys there's a guy named skip Stoley. he's up now back in his home state of illinois i think um but they put together a series of nationwide coaches' uh, clinics, you know, trying to trying to uh, ho- homogenize the methodology of coaching in track and field, and it was, you know, they they put a lot of people in the you know, a lot of seats in the in the uh, chairs, but then you know then it dies on the vine, and and you know they – Or the governing body is not smart enough to pick it up
0: right right uh
1: usc usoc is not gonna think about it um they're they're gonna cede it to the or the the governing body um so nothing happens and then and then you're you know you're left with some crazy stuff that's being prescribed yeah um you know i don't know i don't know it's it's uh
2: I think we're fighting too many problems at once. Both from the, you know, saying you know better organized meets, and you need sponsorship. You need some deep deep pockets. You need you still do need some star power, just because I believe in the way that that everything runs. You know, there's watchability in teams, but you know, I watch football and I know the the teams, but I still know the most important players on each team. You know, which uh, nine times out of ten is the quarterback, but you know, everybody knows their stars and all that. So it's like, you've got to have some marketable product that way. And, and one of the things that we've been fighting in track and field uh, for the longest time is uh, not getting the top quality athletes because they're going to go where they can make money. So uh, when they're in high school, you know, you have a choice between football, basketball, baseball, and like you said, hockey, and then some other sports track and fields way, way down the list of the big money makers, Mm -hmm. you know, and I didn't realize that when I was in, in college at UCLA, I I would sit up with my roommate, Dwayne Washington and I used to sit up my freshman year in the dorms and talk about how we were going to make Olympic teams and get onto Wheaties boxes and make all this money. And, you know, I look back at that now and I just chuckle because unless you are the, the, even the peak guys, I mean, Carl, Carl Lewis, you know, at his peak, what was he bringing in every year? You know, it, it's, it's minuscule compared to what's going on. I don't even, I don't know what Usain Bolt, you know, made in in his three Olympics run. And I've seen a couple of cool commercials, you know, where he's here and, Hey, that's Usain Bolt. You know, he's, he's pretty easy to spot, but at the same time, you know, he's, he's getting one one hundredth of what one of those, you know, Michael Jordan still makes more money than everybody else. You know, selling shoes and whatever now. So, you know, unless we have some, some killer clout, we're, we're losing some of the best athletes in the world. And, and even then some of the best ones still do amazing things, like we say, but, uh, between the, the packaging and the star power and the organization. And I believe there's just, there's just enough money that, you know, there's just enough competition for people that are just in it just for that. You know, and so you've you've got the ones that are smart enough to try to bilk everybody. You know, um, from in the grassroots systems. You know, from the AAU and you know Junior Olympics level on up. You know, with track teams and and whatever. And you know, Kern and I talked about this a while back. Uh, coach Anthony Kern, you know, formerly at UCLA, unceremoniously let go, uh, even though he was just a volunteer paid coach, non-paid coach at the end. Um, they, he was saying that he thinks the, the lifeblood of track is still at the grassroots level, you know, getting those young, young kids, you know, they call them like newts and gremlins and lizards or whatever. Like I've seen those meat results, you know, they got them at, running around at four or five years old, you know, and, uh, get them early and build them up, you know, but I, I remember, was it a couple of years ago, they had the hundred meter final at uh, the state was Reggie Bush versus maurice jones drew you know and you don't you don't hear about those anymore that was already almost 20 years ago
0: there's an idea what if um yeah what if usatf started to embed these exhibition races in these high school state meets and different regional needs and things like that to try to hype some people up Yeah, i mean see
1: it's thinking like that and and but you're 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 asking people that that don't have that level of creativity to come up with that. You could bring it to them. That would be like, Oh, that's a good idea. You know, uh, then all of a sudden they put the, they put it in a, you know, they create a, a box so small that you could never get it to work. But yep. that kind of thinking is, is exactly what has to happen. You know, there has to be okay. lever- leveraging of other, other athletes and other sports, there's gotta be a commingling of, 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 uh, you know, this talent pool. Uh and, and you know, the beauty of something like that, Lauren, is that you're, you're, you can leverage the name recognition of those athletes that are, already exists. You know, you're not, you're not asking somebody to, to, to hey, do you know who, uh, uh, uh what's her name? Shakira Richardson. Do you know who that is? No, I've never heard of her. Uh, have you heard of Serena Williams? Yeah. Well, she's throwing the shot today you
0: know. Yeah, it's like an opening pitch of a baseball game, kind of. Something right. It's exciting. That's a little flair.
2: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, what about another idea that I had just recently, and this was after watching Instagram feeds for a couple years now. Um, you know, <clears throat> you, you guys both know this, being on the West Coast, especially s- South uh, Southern California-ish, there is no, there are no, nor is there any need for any indoor facilities to have any meets at or anything like that, because, you know, everybody knows it never rains in Southern California. So, you know, what do we need an indoor training facility for? And I remember in high school, I got invited to the Sunkist Invitational. This was in 1982, you know, my senior year. So I think it was 81, actually, right after football season. And I never had a worse experience jumping in my life than jumping indoor on wood in track spikes, you know, that were sinking into the floor and, you know, everything's super compact, you know, there's no room anywhere. And I remember no hiding at six, four and swearing. I would never go back. And, you know, uh, I look at these meets that they're doing. I see these high school kids jumping in what looks like their basketball court at home with the pits inside and they're running on these nice shiny, you know, floors like they have at poly pavilion or something like that and they're jumping in high tops and looking like they're just having a blast you know i'm like going now that would be fun i would love to organize a meet like that for at any level high school on up you know and say let's just get that's that's another just you know
1: well whatever the event is yeah you know challenge the football players at the college you think you're fast come out here yeah you know yeah. you think you th- you, th- you how fast can you run um you know not that it would be a mile but how fast can you run 800 meters or how fast okay. can you run a mile? i can i can break uh uh five minutes all right put your money where your mouth is let's go yeah.
0: yeah i love it i one thing i was thinking too was like um kind of what you were talking about troy with the different different indoor styles and things is I it makes me think of pole vault I think they've done a really good job with the pole vault community at getting creative and creating different types of events and they have the street vaults in on the east coast a lot and in parts of Europe where they just close off the street in the middle of a city and build a runway and a platform out yeah. um, pole vault summit is a really good example of that I talked to the the guys at UCS about what what could we take what would it take to do a high jump summit next door because there's a whole separate room that could be doable, but once again, it comes down to that, like, you know, what kind of surface would we need to make this possible? Right. But I think there's a lot of value in having those niche um, those niche events that are specific, event specific, and um, it just brings a lot of viewership out. It, show, it brings the community together in a way that really helps it grow, and I think that's something that the pole vault community has done a great job with, I think partially because they have their branch off of the gymnastics community in a way. Yes. And they're very familiar with that format,
2: but um, well, I think that's about, something that we
0: should get into more.
2: What about the uh, what the uh, ninja, the American ninja, the way they do their thing—that right. traveling right. road show where they can they set that course up anywhere and everywhere.
0: Totally.
2: And that would be the Absolutely. kind.
0: Absolutely.
2: Of... There was a guy think out about a...
0: it. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, sorry.
1: <laughs> there was that's a great some great thoughts. There was a guy out of Chicago that did a uh, high jump summit back in the you know back in the late nineties. Um, and, and, try to get it off the ground and it, it failed. Um, um, but the, but the, see, it's this kind of thinking that, uh, that has to happen. Uh, you know, Lauren, you asked, you asked that question early. <clears throat> um, and it's that level of creativity. It, it, it's completely got to go outside of whatever, but you know, any vision, traditional vision that people have a track and field, it can't be anything closely associated.
0: Yeah.
1: It's gotta be, gotta be very different.
0: Well, I watched. When I was, sorry, go ahead. (laughs) No, you go. I was just gonna say, I, um, I used to work as, well, I still do sometimes work as a personal trainer, um, and do group exercise and stuff. And, um, just using that job and, um, to kind of expose different people that I work with to track and field and what it might offer has been super fun. And I think that that, um, it's just an option, you know, too, is just to kind of integrate it more into the general fitness, um, you know, high intensity, like how we've got some sprint work kind of building into like the high intensity exercise performance realm. But if we got it a little bit more dialed in and a little bit more tied in with track and field, the sport itself, um, like the health and fitness industry, we tied track and field a little bit more into the health and fitness industry, in some capacity, it could be a really good way to help it grow. Like I just remember having some parents would bring, okay, I'll take it. I had some parents would bring their kids in for training sessions. They want them to be more healthy or what have you. And these kids don't want to exercise at all. They don't want to be lifting a kettlebell or throwing around a dumbbell or whatever it is, but um, you brought a bunch of pile boxes and some mini hurdles and make something exciting out of it and start to introduce them to this sport in a really grassroots kind of a way and kind of introduce them to health and fitness and track in that way, it can be really exciting. And it's been, it's been a really fun thing for me to get to do, um, to see how, just how that kind of connects some dots for different age groups and different people too, and reflect on my own journey. So I just think like the things we could do, um, you know, liability wise, the JCI used to work at, we would have like a Sunday fun day. And on Sundays we would try to open up the track, um, and just have people come out and play around if they wanted to do different things, uh, try to throw a javelin or, you know, pick up a shot put or something like that. Um, and it was just really great to see, to see that open doors for different people um, and also give those groups of people that wanted to come out kind of an opportunity to try something new. So
2: Sure,
0: sure. I like this one up
2: in there. I'm going to do a, a long overdue uh, introduction. Um, welcome to Raise the Bar, the uh, Sky High and Flight Jump Camps podcast. I'm your host, Troy Haynes, former nobody high jumper at uh, UCLA. Um been out of the sport for a long time now. been coaching for more years than, than anything else. Um, my two guests, we are talking with Lauren Magnuson, who jumped at, where did you jump again, Lauren, at Chico State?
0: I jumped at Butte College and Chico State.
2: Yeah. butte college and chico state and uh, qualified for the u.s olympic trials one year is that correct
0: <laughs> no unfortunately i didn't in 2016 I, I would have qualified but i didn't enter i was going through some life changes as it goes and didn't quite have the confidence to submit my marks and then come to find out i looked and saw the, the entry list the day they came yeah. out and yeah i was Just really went- disappointed um but i didn't <laughs> enter but you know it is what it is and in hindsight hindsight's 2020, you know, it's only helped me to grow as a person, as a coach and as an athlete since then. So the goal is to kind of get back into that training shape that I was in back then and try to give 2024 a good shot for the trials.
2: I love that goal. That's awesome. Uh, that yeah. the fact of the matter is that you did have a mark, they qualified you for the trials and you could have gone. So that <laughs> also qualifies you for the current series on this podcast, which is both, uh, Former and current, uh, uh, Olympic trial participants and, uh, people that have even made it through to the trials. Um, my other guest is a former coach of mine and dear friend who came to my wedding, uh, one of my groomsmen, um, Alan Hankel, who, uh, spent uh, many years coaching. He played, um, he played, uh, lacrosse at Syracuse. Is that right, Alan? That's correct. And then, um, he, coached at many different places. You've already heard him mention UCLA and USC. Uh, he worked privately with uh, one of the biggest names in American high jumping, uh, Doug Nordquist. Uh, and uh, under your work with Doug was when he jumped his PR of seven, eight, three quarters. Is that correct?
1: Uh, yes, that's
2: correct. That is correct. And also worked with Jimmy Connolly, who was the number one ranked athlete in the world that year until he broke his leg doing a commercial. Is that what I remember? Yep. Oh, uh, What a break. What a break. Um, so, uh, Alan has more years coaching than I do under his belt and Lauren's a coach. And we've all been athletes at the collegiate level and, uh, tried to step higher than that. And, uh, so you're, you're hearing three people give the uh, breakdown on the current state of affairs in track and field here in the U S and even around the world. And, uh, we're trying to troubleshoot and solve all the problems. So, uh, Bear with us. This could take more than one podcast, but uh we're doing a good job of, of breaking it down. So um continuing on in our discussion, um we've already outlined the problem and maybe some ways around the problem. Um I love this idea of because Alan you had mentioned that uh we need these events to be shorter. You know, anybody that goes to a track meet anymore, you know when you run the triple jump as the last event. And it takes a couple hours to get that done, you know, and you're not, you start at 12, you're done at eight, you know, you know, that's not going to work on a TV schedule. So it seems to me that your idea of compacting things down, maybe it is simpler to just pick, uh, the individual events, you know, and, and make a big, a, as big a show as you can out of something like that, you know, get a a spring loaded floor. I used to listen to Lee Balkin and, and some of those guys back in the day, um, regale me with tales of how it was like to jump over in Japan on these spring loaded wood floors, you know, covered with tartan. And, you know, I was like of the mind, I I didn't ever want to jump indoors because of my experience at at that, you know, sun-kissed meet jumping off of wood and spikes where you felt like you were sinking into the floor. And uh, he was telling me, no, you got it all wrong. You know, you go to these places and and they would go around and test the floors, you know, and say, Oh yeah, right here. (laughs) Put the standards right here. You know, put the pit here and then you get guys jumping seven, seven and seven, eight indoor. And I'm like, Oh, that'd be great. You know, let's get, uh, Tam Barry and, uh, you know, get all these guys to something like that. Or, you know, if it's impossible to get that kind of name power, then, you know, like you said, just do it on the cheap with your, your local stud kids. And then, like you said, maybe open it up and say, Oh, you guys think you're great basketball players. Huh? Why don't you guys come over here and, you know, try this, the high jump? indoors as you can go up and touch the top of the backboard you know
0: yeah I think that's the beauty of the pole vault summit is um you know I don't Mm -hmm. know the logistics behind that but it's not like they put out a whole lot of overhead I don't think they do a prize money um situation or anything like that but because it is it's a learn by doing clinic and a competition so it really is opening up the floor and giving just any random old person that might want to give it a shot the opportunity to come out and give it a go, and to be taught by some of the best, and get to sit and watch the best of the best do it. Yeah. Just a really cool environment.
1: Yeah, it is a cool environment. You know, it, I, rem- I remember back when it first started. Um, one of the first venues was um, in Reno. Yeah. oh, and there was an- there was another one. I want to say. Oh, gosh, was there one in Phoenix?
0: I'm not sure if they've done it. Um, somewhere else I've only been to the I've only been familiar with the one you know uh, as of I think I started going in 2016
1: maybe? Lord how, how, you, were you born in like 2001 or something
0: like <laughs> <laughs> pretty much yeah wow. I'm a 94 baby 27 you years young yeah 27. Wow. wow. 27
1: yeah well you are young yep um <laughs> Um, but that was, it was, uh, that was, that place was electric, electric.
0: Oh yeah. I mean,
1: it's a happening environment. And, And as I recall, is it still, or it was at least two days, maybe three day event.
0: Yeah. The way that it's laid out now is, um, it's a Friday, Friday, Saturday event, um, so Friday all the elites show up and they compete usually the elites and the masters compete Friday evening and then Saturday they have the opening ceremony they've got some different speakers um the learn by doing clinic happens for all the athletes and then there's a bunch of coaching seminars that happen also and Mm -hmm. then um in the afternoon is when all the open and college and high school and younger athletes get to compete so it's a really incredible experience and then um something that chico state has been really fortunate to be a, be able to be a part of um just having some connections with ucs spirit i know we usually get to send a few kids up that direction um, as well as a few other schools um and it's all volunteer only so our kids you know they sign up for it they take themselves up there they do it but um they get to go and do all the production work so they help with the, the setup and the tear down of all the, the runways and the pits and things so uh. Um, yeah it's really rewarding experience and getting to be a part of the build it's it's especially when all the kids start showing up it's almost like you get to work at the backstage at disney world or something like that really special and all the elites get to compete and we're out there on the pits with them helping to do the you know bar putter uppers and things like that too so it's it's a great experience i think it would be so cool to see that model utilized more in our sport because i know we have the fans for it it's just a matter of making it accessible. And it's not like Reno in January is accessible, but, but they still get thousands of fans every year. So, well, <laughs> be- but but too,
1: they, they, you know, they have a legacy, right? I mean, I went to oh, the yeah. first one to the first one, and
0: oh,
1: a, a number after that. And I, who was the was it Jan Johnson that started it? Jan you Johnson,
0: uh, I'm not sure. He's no, out of um, oh,
1: he's out of the San Luis Obispo area. Okay, uh,
0: yeah, yeah, I know that... He- the. the- the Chapel family from, um, from the Reno area—they're pretty heavily involved with it nowadays. But, really? Okay. Um, yeah, and the Mestretti's, the Chapels, and the <laughs> very nice people.
1: Yeah, I bet. I bet. Um, all right. Sorry, Troy. Didn't mean to.
2: No, the I like the the festivity sound of that. I I was thinking of one of the most electric events I've been to, which oddly enough was at a, a baseball game. I went to the the first game of the Giants versus um, oh, who they play when they w- won their first title with uh, Buster Posey and all those guys, they played the Texas Rangers mm. and it was in, in not candlestick, but at and park. And the city was electric. When I got there, it was crazy. I got off the airplane and I got a, a dry, a ride from a crazy Russian taxi driver. Who got, <laughs> from the, who got me from the airport to the, to the ballpark in like four minutes. Oh, it. It was like, <laughs> ooh, I mean, I was just there like, wow. And then everybody in this place was, was ready to go, you know? So we get there, the kit they fell behind by two runs early and the, the place was just not even bothered. It was just rocking. Everybody was having a great time. And I, love that. I got up, I got up and walked around out into the outfield. Cause I've never been to a, even a playoff game before. So here I am sitting at the game, game, one of the world series. And I walked around out in the outfield there at, at AT&T Park, which I think has since been renamed, but um, they had one of those interactive things for the kids, you know, out there, they were playing, you know, different, different things. And it, I don't even know if it was baseball oriented, it might have just been slides and stuff, you know, for them to play because they're kids, you know, they can't pay attention for three hours at a baseball game. But it was just so festive, you know, when I when you guys were talking about that, I, I keep thinking, you know, what a great thing if you can get the kids doing, you know, maybe they're they're doing tumbling, like you're saying this combination oh, yeah. of uh, you know gymnastics that's required to be a, a great pole vaulter. You know, and and teach them how to roll back, you know, feet feet over their head. You know, roll back, protective roll, and all that kind of stuff from the ground up. You know, and uh, I, I like the sound of that. It just sounds like you know they're they're. Uh,
0: Sorry, I'm switching over to my phone because my laptop's about to die. Yeah,
2: yeah, I got you. So there now we we're in, on two. Oh look at you! There you're we... very talented. She's doubling up.
1: <laughs> you're like super talented, Lauren. Uh,
2: but yeah, I think I think
1: we're you're, we're. You're muted too, by the way, huh? There she goes.
2: There we go.
0: She's she
2: back. I'm, I think uh, we're we're knocking I'm... on the right door. So it sounds like.
0: <laughs> I think yeah. so. We're gonna solve the world problems here. Yeah. I think we're heading well, in the right direction.
1: Begs the... it does beg the question though, right? Yeah, and what do you? I mean, I mean, it's great to talk about it. It's a whole, you know, it's a whole different yeah Yeah. ballgame. Yeah, I mean, there there was a guy that uh, a guy named uh, Paul the Apostle that was preaching to characterize a bunch of people at at this one synagogue as people that sat around all day uh, philosophizing over nothing, (laughs) you know, getting nowhere.
0: Making no moves. Yeah, I think that's, that's something I, um, I think about a lot and I have, especially just given my own journey through track and field, um, I've been thinking about these things for a long time, just grew up in a pretty low income household and didn't have access to club track or like decent coaches. Um, and that really held me back from a lot of opportunities at a young age. So I just remember sitting back and just thinking like, oh, what if, what if track was more accessible or what if we had, xyz options in place so that people really could have these opportunities and how can we make it better and um I think it's hard because we look at the we look at the organization um the structure in our own country and I think there's a lot to be improved um and that's we could take it in one direction you know from the top down there's a lot to be cleaned up I think that could really benefit everything but if we look at it more from a bottom-up perspective is, you know, how can we create more opportunities from where we're at? Um how, Whether that be how we coach or um how we manage our time, or are we able to put events together and host events and try to make, make the sport truly more accessible for your own area. Um, it's a lot of hard work and it takes a lot of collaboration and a lot of um, coordination, especially with powers that be in different avenues. <laughs> especially to find facilities, but I think it's, it's worthwhile, you know, it's been really exciting to see um, camps pop up in my area nowadays, and um, hopefully we can start putting together some community meets and make those open to the public, you know, not just, not just unattached post-collegiates, but also like um, youngsters and masters and maybe Paralympians or para-athletes as well, um, just bring the sport I together.
2: I love that yeah. idea. I think Paralympians are, are just totally, uh, almost operating under the radar and, and doing some of the most incredible things I've ever seen. I was, I was so bummed that they didn't just with the Olympics, you know, they turned right around and had the Paralympics after it. I'm like, why separate? Why separate at all? Just put them in the show, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm watching guys high jump with one leg. You know, and I'm just I'm blown away. Some of those guys work so hard. I watch this guy, wow. some of those guys' feeds. I I still drills from them. You know, I'm just yeah. like that's an amazing thought. You know, you're like this guy's hopping to the bar on one leg, and I'm like, yeah. wow. You know, so and I know it's not just a high jump. I've seen you know a lot of a lot of it all the way across the board. I'm like, I, I would love to see them get you know the same kind of recognition and you know you. I know there's a lot of splintering in there because, you know, there's so many different groups, you know, inside Mm -hmm. of that. It's hard to say, you know, you're just, you know, you're not, uh, you've got a certain disability compared to somebody else's disability. And, you know, like the guys that are running on the prosthetics where they can really jump (laughs) off that, that leg or whatever. And I'm like, I'm like, so what are you telling me? You know, this guy, uh, he, he, he wanted to end up, missing that body part so he could have that, you know, fake leg so he could jump. And I, it just blows me away. You know, there's, there's so much, uh, spirit, you know, that indomitable spirit to get up and to to train and to keep going and to become, you know, world-class, you know, even with whatever your, your disability is, I would love to see them included.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think, um, it's, it's something that, you know, it's long overdue to, to implement some more collaboration between para and open sports in general, not just in track and field, but just in general, um, adaptive sports should just be more integrated into our society. Um, because, uh, physical disability is something that affects a lot of people, you know, sure. even if it's not me directly, somebody within my family. Um, so, I yeah, that's one thing I really love about getting to come here um to Chula Vista and get to come to the meets here and get to be a part of this community when I am is just getting to see the the creativity, the grit, the humor um that comes with all these different age groups and all these different demographics of people that come and flock to this place. Um and I think that it's just a good representation of our sport as a whole. It like I said, it, it should it should be the most accessible sport. I think we, you know, we talked about that statistically. It probably is the most engaged sport in high school, at least um, in our country. So, I think um, I think it's our job as these middle people or these frontliners to just try to create more opportunities and try to help facilitate a positive, um, engaging experience for those athletes that we do get to work with, and try to show them that they have a little bit of a responsibility as well to uphold the culture and community that is track and field you know and that comes back down to how are you managing your attitude and how are you what are you gaining or what are you adding to um the value of the day the day to day training day the competition day you know just teaching them that it is more about marks that you really have the chance to to grow as a person and to help other people grow as a person um mm-hmm. every day and that's the beauty of our sports the beauty of sports in general but i think track and field is a really beautiful thing and we've got a great opportunity as coaches to kind of help this thing grow and to help other people grow through it. So that's my goal and to hope, hopefully connect these dots and try to find more ways to push people in that direction.
1: Yeah.
2: I like it. Well, yeah, gonna... great. Go ahead, finish.
1: No, just saying great, great thoughts.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I think we should, um, we got to try this again. Uh, maybe have a state of the union uh, address in, uh, you know, every, maybe every three months or something and say, Hey, you know, these, uh, these opportunities have come across my plate and, uh, you know, uh, we can be the, uh, the Illuminati group or whatever you want to call the the (laughs) powers behind the scenes trying to, uh, to create a better, a better situation out of this, um,
1: well, before just just because this is, you know, it's a good like we were just saying, it's a great conversation. Um, why don't why don't we uh, create a couple of tasks?
0: Yeah, next steps.
1: Like yes, yeah. I like it. <laughs> and, and one of those one, I mean, I mean, you can obviously get very lost in the weeds on something like this um but maybe it'd be a good idea to i I'd try to identify in terms of next steps you know what is what is the priority what is what is the first next step that needs to be taken
0: right
1: um i don't know what that is you know i'm thinking i'm thinking much more broad scope than i should mm-hmm. <laughs> and I- unfortunately the way i've always worked you know i I, the uh, i can see the horizon i i can i can actually map that what that looks like but it's too big right Um, so maybe identifying okay what you know what are two or three things max that would be would be that next step right
0: um
1: and and you know Mm. flesh out a little bit
0: yeah.
2: Well, we went well, one was uh, trying to, to get uh, some events uh, made where, you know, the, either the high jump summit or pole vault summit or, you know, something like that, you know, a smaller, you were yeah. talking about showing the venue as being full. I think that's, that's one thing I remember seeing on a, somebody's feed one time was it looked like they took the end at, at a big stadium and just blocked it off. So it was just the high jump, you know, down in one corner. And I remember seeing Bush or someone jump at something like that and it looked full, even though it was, you know, probably one eighth of the stadium, you know, or whatever, but, um, maybe that could be one thing.
0: Yeah. Ooh. Um, I think too, just, just thinking about that there are a lot of meets that are existing already that are pretty low exposure. And I'm just thinking about the pro circuit right now, like for instance, the last three, the last three pro, jumps meets there's only been like four triple jumpers entered in so like um just finding ways maybe to help promote and generate promotion and exposure for some of the pre-existing meets and models that already are out there all
2: right getting some sponsors yeah
0: now so now you're bringing up
1: you know you're bringing up the foundation elements right Mm mm-hmm you know, before you can have a meet like that, you have got to know what the structure is going to be. You got to know where the money's coming from. You got to have the participation right. from, you know, how many sources. And it's 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 that thinking that has to be done first. Right. You know, the idea of sitting there and and oh, let's put a meet on. Okay, that's great. Well, we're we're doing nothing. We're doing the exact same thing that's already been done. Right. Right um there's a lot of preliminary stuff that has to a lot of thinking and a lot of uh marshalling of resources to even address the smallest thing right um i don't you know i mean it's it's a big it's that we're talking about big stuff here even if even i mean even like you're saying even you know say lauren for a a jumps summit or mm-hmm. you know i don't know um I, you know anything? Th- 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 yep. That's a huge, huge task.
0: Definitely, definitely. Uh,
1: so you know, here's one one thing. Here's a, here's a thought, more. Since you've got, since you have access to the people in, in Reno, um, maybe you know, getting some of their you know, get uh, spending some time with them and and say, okay, wh- what are the Requisites for for you to to have a jump off of this kind of idea. What did you do back in the day, or when you took it over, or whatever?
0: What yeah, has be, definitely.
1: What has to be in place in order for something like this to be successful?
0: Yeah, and, I love that. That's a great great idea.
1: Um, I'll you know I'll put out a feeler. I, I'll get in touch with with uh, try and get in touch with uh, with Casey. Wasserman he's just so you know he's the he's the uh the chairman of the uh of the 28 games wow. okay um
0: I love that um, I,
1: just because he's you know he's he thinks along these lines and he, he will say you're out of your mind uh it's a waste of your time it's not going to happen here are the reasons why he won't hesitate for a second at the <laughs> same time he, when I approached him about this before, he said, "Yeah, this is doable." Right. Um, you know, of course, that that was a, a, quite a while ago, and times have changed. Right. So.
0: Yeah.
1: But let me see if I can get in touch with in touch with him. Um, yeah. What's another What's another kind of funda- foundational element of even? I mean, if it, if we're targeting something like a summit, I don't even know whether that's the right way to go. I have no idea.
2: How do we get uh, the Paralympians involved? That's what I, something I would really like to do. And you brought right. that up and was like I think that would be great. Paralympians
0: and Masters.
2: Yeah. Who, who yeah. Is the and,
1: uh, Troy. Troy. Here's a, here's something for you. Here's something to think about. Um, generating excitement is absolutely key. Yes. To to um, continuity. And, I mean. To, to continuing the, the to kind of build on, in other words, to make sure that you can come back and do it again. Right. So what are and this is a, this is not a question to be answered right now, but the question is, what are the elements that create excitement? Maybe maybe yeah, like start putting those thoughts together. What what is the what comes under the umbrella of creating spectator excitement? Marketing. Yeah, but that's a that's a big umbrella, right?
0: I'm, yeah. I'm,
1: thing within underneath marketing what what are the five things three four things that have to be there in order to be you know kind of a self
2: uh, uh,
1: you know a a self-perpetuating thing right yeah that it that it feeds on itself and then and then like the summit you know you get done with it and everybody's hyped up and they're they're stoked and all of a sudden you got you got kids that had never thought about vaulting before that are going back to their respective places and they're, they're vaulting.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, and they're talking about it and they're, they're pumping it up and they're looking forward to the next summit. Well, you know, what are those things? I don't know what they are. I mean, I can. I
0: think I personality gotta, is one of them. Oh, yeah. That's has a lot of
1: personality. <laughs> You've got to have, got have it. you know, where, what are the elements of exposure? What are the, what are the parts of that excitement that include, um, uh, you know, butts in the seats and the stands. Mm-hmm. What are the what are the parts that require media coverage? You know, I tell you, somebody who to talk to Troy would be uh, would be Don Franken.
2: I was thinking of Al, but yeah, Don. Al's out of it. Al's out of it.
1: Yeah, and I, he may be out of it permanently.
2: Right. Um. But
1: Don would Don I'm, would take in this. Gary yeah. Hill would t- Gary Hill would take an interest in this. Yes. And I, I you, you, do, you know, Lauren, do. You know who Gary Hillis?
0: No, that sounds really familiar, though.
1: He's the uh, he's the editor in chief for Track and Field News. Oh, okay. I, I I'll tell you. <laughs> just and I, I ended up sleeping at his place in Los Altos after after this. I used to live in Northern California. I was training in Northern California, so I first moved out. and I was uh, competing, you know, trying to make my way into the decathlon. Yeah. Um, and we we were I don't know where we were, but there was some big throwers thing as I recall. Oh, and uh, you know a lot of that was you know the 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 San Jose area was big in throws back in the day. Yeah, and it was it it got ugly after a, a period of time, and I don't know. I ended up back at Gary's house, and with him. And just camp, I, I, I was parked in, you know, some couch somewhere. But anyway, so guys like that, Troy would be guys mm-hmm. to talk to, you know, just bounce ideas off. Just find what, what's, what is, you know, what's the, what are the keys to, to sports promotion, a successful sports promotion of, of events or a series or whatever.
2: Yeah. You know, yeah. they'll know what that get- is. I think we need to get younger. I think, you know, both the demographics, you know, in the, in America, baseball's been dying slowly also, even though there's still money at the top, there's still, you know, a lot of things that are slowing the game down. You're, you're losing, you know, all the old guys like us, they just keep getting older and, and dying off and they're not replacing them with young people that really want to watch baseball because it's just too long for them. They can't yeah. pay attention that long, you know? Right. And so it, it needs to have a younger idea to it. I remember listening to someone talking, I think it's um, the owner of the Mavericks It's on Shark Tank, uh, Mark Cuban. He was talking about how, uh, you know, he, that, that American uh, teenagers were going to be more attracted to baseball if they could just follow the one guy that they have on their fantasy team on their phone. Like if they're, you know, they get a little alert on their phone saying, Hey, your guy's up. <laughs> He's up right now in this game. There's yep. two on and it's the bottom of the ninth, you know, and then, and here comes the feed on your phone and you're oh, watching yeah. YouTube TV or something and it's your guy, you know, and that holds your captive interest for two minutes, you know, and so there's, there's some of that kind of thinking that, that might have to go into it too. You know, I, I like these, these fully interactive stadiums. I mean, what, all I keep hearing on sports radio is how unbelievable uh, SoFi Stadium is, you know, state-of-the-art, this and that, totally interactive, blah, blah, blah. And we all, you know, talked about how great it was at Mount Sack with that huge screen right behind everything. I remember thinking, you know, I would love to have, you know, my high jump wish list is the, you know, one camera straight down the bar for either shot so I can see sideways lean and knee drive, right? And then I'd like to have a shot straight at both standards, two different cameras where I can see the lean back angle. And then I'd love to have an overhead camera so I can see the curve. Right. And then right. You've got all those three cameras going. And if you could give me John Garhammer and his force plates, I'd be in heaven, put force plates under both takeoff areas. But then you have all of that on a quick replay loop right up there on the big screen where you've watched a jump. And just like they showed, the Olympics is always, again, even with Dwight, you would think Dwight would say, why don't you give us a different angle? You know, like here's this horrible angle that they give you, and you see the first angle, and then you see a replay, and then you may or may not have somebody telling you about that jump, depending on the year, you know, that knows anything about it. And, you know, here at, at Mount SAC, if you had that set up, you could be like, you know, as soon as I take my jump as the athlete, instead of being worried about, you remember in the old days, you get disqualified for looking at your phone or for somebody taking a video, Right. You just look at the screen. There's a replay. You got three angles, you know, first one and the other, boom, boom, boom. And that's completely interactive, you know, and you could have stuff like that going. I don't think even with what they have there at Mount SAC, that huge screen, you know, it's they so nice. had to use hardly at all while we were there, you know, and that's an unbelievable resource.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to see how they put that in motion in the future. Um, cause hopefully it's sooner than later. I know we haven't really gotten into like talking about the track and field league, um, at all, but hoping that some of these things start to pop up a little bit more as it needs to pop up as well.
2: What I, to sound really, really out of it, what are we, what is the track and field league?
0: Um, I'm probably not the best person to answer that, uh, <laughs> with a lot of detail, but from what I can tell, there's a few investors that are trying to start a bit of a league for professional track athletes, post-collegiate athletes. Um, there was a draft situation and, um, last year and, um, it didn't pan out, I don't think financially for the group that was trying to do that, but I think that that is in motion for this year or not this coming.
1: It sounds a lot like, uh, uh, close to what I was talking about 25 years ago. Um, so can I've got to cut out? I've got to get off.
0: Yeah, I got to hop soon too. Unfortunately, we're all getting there. All
1: right. So we have our assignments. Um, Troy, it'll be up to you to reconvene us.
0: Okay.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Our first repeat podcast. This is actually our first, um, with two participants early uh, we had one that happened by accident with Randall Cunningham who called in the middle of a show a while back and that was fun and we just patched him right in and, and got right down to business and uh, so that was my first multi-guest show but this is the first one that was planned ahead of time and um, it would be uh, awesome like we said to reconvene after a short period of time um, uh, did everybody get their jobs am I am I trying to get in touch with Don Franken and were you going to do Gary Hill or do you want me to call him you're the one to who-
1: call i can call Gary I don't yeah I'll call Gary I, I, there was somebody else I was thinking about calling too that might be even better but I'll you know let me touch base with Brian Soderberg in, in IAAF. Um, yeah, and I'm
0: going to reach out to the UCS guys in Reno yeah, yeah, and in South Carolina they do a lot the UCS spirit they do a lot of uh, street vaults and street events and stuff in the what about the paralympians?
2: what's to to be totally you know show again how little i know what where would i go to uh to jump to the top of the the information pile there
1: what are we talking about
2: who's the, the person to get in touch with for paralympians both That's a good question
1: i you know what i would do troy is uh i would contact the governing body and tell them you want to get in touch with the local association okay. and then and then you know, pick somebody that knows what the frig they're talking about locally. Right. right. Um, you know, not some. I
0: have some questions here while I'm in Chula over the next couple of days. Yeah. As well. What's that? I said I can also ask a few of those questions while I'm here in Chula Vista. Oh, cool. The next couple of days. Yeah.
2: yeah, Jeremy's had his but, ear to the ground a lot longer than I've had for sure.
0: And I'll
1: put a, I'll put a note out to uh, uh, to Casey. Awesome. Uh, if he's he's i'm sure busier than one on paper hanger but uh (laughs) but yeah hopefully he'll respond
2: all right right. well once again uh thank you to my my two guests lauren magnuson who was gracious (laughs) uh, graciously spending her time with us from uh live from the chula vista training center down at (laughs) Jeremy fisher's end of the world in uh down in san diego chula vista area and uh an added thank you to um longtime friend, mentor, and uh spiritual guide. I had um I put on my my job application for Mount SAC. They said relationship to the person who's writing your your letter of recommendation and I said Padawan to Jedi Night. <laughs> so I don't know if, if anybody's gonna get that joke, but I, I No, love- they're not. They're not. So that's good. <laughs> I, said, I said my relationship is padawan to jedi knight so we'll see how that goes <laughs> up. Right. thank that. you both for uh oh, taking an hour and a half out of your day to spend talking absolutely with washed up old yeah, i loved it and hey, yeah uh, that was lauren, awesome
1: lauren did i i, I missed this did, are you training for um tw- uh, for 24
0: i'm aiming for it yeah i did get in a small car accident earlier this year that um I've got some residual whiplash, whiplash injuries from. Um, I jumped a little earlier this spring, but I just decided to kind of pull back because my neck is still having some issues. So I'm hopeful that I'll be able to jump again next year and year after next, and hopefully for a few more years after that. But um right now I'm just focusing on rehab and just general fitness and kind of working this summer to grow my coaching connections and education. Cool. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right, Troy, you guys know each other because you, uh, are you guys working together?
2: Not yet. No, we're, uh, I bumped into Lauren at, uh, the Zuzu Pacific, uh, meet. She, she's yeah. j- jumping at, I think one of the last meets that, uh, Barbara Pachoka was jumping at. So. Yep. That's so where we cross paths. So. Uh-oh. Yeah. Well, you have also
0: interviewed a couple of my friends too, which is good.
2: <laughs> right. Right. Who, who was on this? I remember Chen and who else? um
0: oh, it, well Tyler Arroyo is a good Tyler friend of mine Arroyo. and then um Marcus Gelpie.
2: right um, That's right we had a fun fun he's a fun kid I'll tell you what he's a
0: cool kid he, he was a, a really great, cool kid
2: he was a great podcast I mean you know from yeah. for most people be like okay Marcus who and I'm like every time I I watch this kid on Instagram he's jumping four inches higher than he's jumped before so he's just, <laughs> yeah uh, he's
0: a stud it's been really fun to watch him grow this year
2: yeah, yeah, and he's a you know great attitude, great you know just real real fun young man. So, yeah.
1: That's, right. yeah. So so Lauren, um, who do you work with down in San Diego? Though
0: um, I actually don't live here. I live in Chico because uh, I've been coaching up at oh. Chico State. Um, okay. Yeah, I lived here last year. I was doing a, a perform or, a, pardon me, I was doing an internship at a sports performance facility um, doing some biomechanical analysis and some training and things. Um, and then I started training here late December and did about a month or so of training with the group, um, with the jumpers. And that was really cool, um, with coach Fisher. So ultimately I would love to get back down here and try to get back into training here, but I need to make sure that I have my, you know, life set up to be able to support that goal. Um, and also just want to make sure that my body's kind of ready to, buckle down for training once again um, yeah. that's that's the goal that's the hope but cool. I cool. yep
2: all right all right guys all
1: right lauren thank you all right yes
0: thank you both for your time i appreciate meeting you and i'm glad that we could connect and i'm really looking forward to seeing what we can come up with and how we can move forward in the future
2: awesome yeah yep, we all got our homework <laughs> awesome
0: cool all guys right.
2: well have a great afternoon all right yeah. you too. bye guys bye bye